Hello and welcome to the Elevate Music podcast. I'm Lucy Heyman and in this episode I'll be speaking to musician and songwriter Aruba Red about mental health, external validation and motherhood. We'll also hear from psychotherapist Helen Bryce, but first let's hear from Aruba. I make alternative soul music inspired by the themes of healing and transformation and that really informs almost everything that I do. The musical journey has been quite a quite a long and winding one. I'm about 10 years into doing this professionally with a four-year kind of hiatus in the middle and I'm just in the second year coming out of that hiatus. It feels like I'm free and making music again which is a wonderful place to be. Could you tell me some of the challenges that you faced during this time? I wonder sometimes if the challenges are unique to the experience of being an artist or whether the challenges present everybody in their day-to-day lives. And sometimes when we face those challenges, maybe that's why we seek out these more creative roles in, in life. In terms of the challenges I face within my music, I think the transition between when you're first starting, for me, it was very much inspired by lyrics and feeling like I needed to let emotions out and express myself. And then somewhere along the line, that seemed to be, I guess, hijacked in a way by this new sense of having to compete for certain kinds of whatever was deemed as success, whether that's streams or downloads or views or likes or the need to, I guess, compete with peers and and what deems a song as a good song and not and and that's I think led to a lot of my personal challenges but I think that's because of my own sense of insecurities and I think if you can kind of start off from a whole mentally healthy place then you're less likely to be affected by those things in the same way but I think the challenges for me really stem from music becoming a thing that I was using to seek external validation. And I think that's where my biggest challenges have been, I would say. And how did you go to seek that validation? I think it's needing people to tell you that they think you're good, needing people to tell you that they enjoy what you do or that they love the performance and that buzz you get when you get off stage and everyone's coming up to you afterwards and like, wow, we loved it. And and then that overriding the initial feeling of oh, I just want to sing and I just want to express and I think now there's this strange duality going on for me which is the love of music and the love of creation that will always come first and that will always be at the heart of of everything that I do but then when you're actually getting ready to release a project or when you are releasing it the focus then becomes on how do I promote this how do I let people know that it's happening how do I reach these targets and I think that's what I find really difficult I think if I could choose I would just love to create in the studio every day and perform sometimes and then have other people put it out and I wouldn't even necessarily need to be part of that process like that would be my, my ideal but as an independent artist you, you really have to do all of these kind of jobs and you have to do a certain level of PR and radio plugging and marketing and all of that and I think I find that really challenging but then on the flip side it's also an era where we can do that so so we have taken that power back a little bit so it's definitely lots of pluses and lots of negatives at the same time. And how do you find social media? I have a a real love-hate relationship with social media. I think I spend too much time on it, but I also love the way that I can connect with people all over the world. And I find it much easier to talk about some of the things I'm struggling with on social media. And I love writing 
on my Instagram and on, and on my posts and sharing things and the dialogue that that comes out of that I really love it yeah I do find it quite draining on my time and sometimes it leads me to feeling quite low if I feel that I've wasted time on social media that could have been better spent in other areas do you find the comparison that social media offers challenging at all I do I think again there's that duality like on the one hand you see people whether it's your peers or people you follow and and you think oh I, I wish I could do that or I wish I had a manager or I wish I had a record label that was helping to push things and things like that and then on the other hand you see your friends doing amazing you see people doing really well and it, it actually really inspires you and motivates you and and you can um, find lots of sources of inspiration and things that can help you along your journey so again it's that constant duality of life I think that runs through through everything so you mentioned a minute ago about how sometimes you can feel quite low if you spent too much time on social media. Have you had any mental health challenges in your life? Mental health challenges have been present from as far back as I can remember. I would say the first instances where it was really apparent was when I was around nine years old and I, I started suffering from really severe panic attacks that would lead to kind of uncontrollable vomiting and I blacked out a few times and had to be taken into hospital and uh, to the doctors and things like that and I had a, a long process of struggling with severe anxiety and just very low self-esteem and various issues stemming from that throughout my teens and my 20s and I didn't ever really receive any professional help for that in my childhood other than that one doctor's visit to the GP and then being prescribed that medication when I started uni I found out about CBT and I got myself on the waiting list for the NHS and got myself the CBT course and that was really helpful for me not so much to get to the root cause of some of my problems but it really helped to give me day-to-day -day coping strategies which were really helpful it wasn't until my kind of mid 20s where I really went on this the beginning of this journey of really taking responsibility for my own mental health I was in a very very difficult relationship for over a decade with the person that I ended up being married to and who was also my manager for a long time and getting out of that relationship really triggered a sort of awakening it was like I, I always say this it's like a three-stage process for me it was um, losing my father so being there when my father passed away it was a very healing thing for me. I'd experienced a lot of death of young people in my childhood. Like my brother died when I was 15 and then my first boyfriend died when I was 17 and then my best friend's brother died when I was 19. And it was just kind of this succession of very young people passing away every couple of years. And I kind of had this very deep kind of morbid outlook on life. I was self-medicating with way too much marijuana and it was just like, it was a difficult time. But I don't think people would have probably known that on the outside, I think I've probably always come across as much more of a positive person than, than I was feeling on the inside. I was very good at masking and getting through life in the way that I felt was expected of me and kind of dealing with a lot of internal stuff. And then when my dad was given six months to live, he ended up passing away within the week that he was given six months to live. It was obviously very, very difficult, but it happened in a way that made sense. I was given time to care for him and be there and speak to him and tell him the things that I wanted to speak about that really triggered something inside me that really really helped me and then the next stage of the process was when I had my little boy the year later I had my son I just felt so strong and again I think it was the first time in my life that I set myself a goal 
and worked towards it and really achieved it. And then eight months after, I managed to get out of this really difficult relationship that I'd been in for over a decade. And I kind of headed for a bit of a breakdown, hit rock bottom. And then because of my child, pulled myself out of that and then really went on a a two-year total kind of codependency recovery toxic love detox like I don't know what to call it I just completely threw myself into it and I read books and I studied and and then I was fortunate enough to receive cognitive analytical therapy which was funded by Help Musicians UK which absolutely was just such a a life-saving thing for me it really really helped me in so many ways So I'm really interested to talk a bit about your childhood, because I know you grew up around some really iconic musicians. What did you observe about the musicians of that generation and their mental health generally? My dad was Jack Bruce, who was uh, a very well-known multi-instrumentalist and composer and one of the founding members of Cream with Eric Clapton and Ginger Baker. And Cream was before my lifetime, before I was born, but I kind of grew up with that legacy around. And my dad was very much a working and touring musician through my whole life and was also kind of really I guess struggling in the wake of such huge success for many different reasons there was a lot of drug abuse going on and alcoholism he struggled with heroin addiction for a very long time and alcoholism and lots of other things and I think a lot of people during that time did I think mental health just wasn't something that people spoke about in the same way that they do now. I think now the conversation's really opened up. I think there's a lot less stigma and shame attached. Obviously, there's still huge challenges, but it's something that we can talk about now to a certain extent. And I think that's the main difference. But do I see people struggling just as much now? Yeah, totally. I don't think people are struggling less. And I think people are still self-medicating in a variety of different ways, just as they were then. But I do feel that there is more support out there now. In terms of similarities, I would say there's definitely something about music that people that just are able to, you know, use their talents as vessels for these emotions and things. There is a reason why I guess we're drawn sometimes towards these kind of platforms of expression. Just to go back to your own mental health experiences, I know you were saying that, you know, after your father died, you felt like you didn't go into that abyss like you had done before. How were you able to perform when you were in that abyss or when you were experiencing really distressing mental health challenges? Were you able to continue with music during that period? I think the music is the escape, then the performance is the escape. Like if I was on tour or if I was performing, that's when you don't have to feel everything if that makes sense like if you're traveling and you're on the road you don't have to deal with the mundane kind of everyday life you're living day to day and your challenges are things like where am I going to find something to eat or what time do I need to be at sound check and it's just a very different reality to I think what I always struggled with was just dealing with day-to-day life when I didn't have a purpose so yeah I think I was able to perform when I was in those really really difficult spaces because that's I guess when you feel you feel held and you feel like the pain makes sense because I think before a lot of that pain would go into the music and that was also where I found my community and where I found my my friends and I think a lot of my mental health issues always came from a place of great loneliness and I think finding those relationships within that was really helpful for me. So can you tell me a little bit about being a musician and a mother at the same time? How is that? Music and motherhood for me has been a really really amazing experience and having 
my little boy has given me an infinite amount of inspiration to tap into but in terms of the actual creation of the music it's given me so many gifts because when your time is so limited you become so much more focused and so much more productive so previously before I had a baby I could spend like three days in the studio and sleep in there and like just hang out with my friends and just you know we'd make songs and it would just be a fun time but now it's like right I've got four hours and we just get it done it's actually made me much more focused and much more appreciative of time and also appreciative of the time that I have with him because you know they grow up so quickly so you want to spend as much time with them as you can so it's changed my outlook in terms of my priorities so when I first started making music again when I had him it was enough to just write these songs and sing them to him that was literally enough like I didn't have any expectations beyond that and that takes me back to what I was talking about earlier is when all of that like how many EPs am I going to sell or how many downloads are there going to be or how many people are going to view the video all of that just disappeared I think what's really helped me since becoming a mum is making a list of very clear things that I want to be aligned with and what my values and what my ethics and my ethos is. And that's really helped me to pick what opportunities I want to focus on and what I want to try and manifest in my life rather than just kind of going along with things and then feeling frustrated when the people you're working with don't get what you're trying to do or they're trying to get you to take sponsorship from something that doesn't feel right. And it's really helped me to really create a life rather than just living a life like it's definitely becoming a mum has helped me yeah do that be much more mindful about what energy and what environment am I creating for my child and for myself and what do I want for us what do I want our experience to be has it affected your mental health at all it has I would say only in a positive way for me personally when he was eight months old and I got out of the relationship I was just on a high I was on a natural high I felt so free and euphoric and I realized now after the therapy that I've had that I think I'd reached a kind of state of euphoria which was a little bit manic and um, the further I got away from the birth I can sense myself dipping back down into what I call my old state and I realise now that that life isn't that way and there's always going to be a new level to reach and more to learn and and we can't live in that that high state all the time our brain isn't you know chemically designed to to exist in that space and you have to have ups and downs and um but I think motherhood for me has taught me resilience I think the birth taught me resilience and I think recovering from codependency and recovering from I think when you're brought up and you, you grow up in a household where addiction plays a big part you're just wired a little bit differently just very small things can really like tip people over the edge so if somebody doesn't like us or if we face rejection or some things that like I would say a stable and kind of well-rounded person who's had a well-rounded upbringing would be able to deal with. They wouldn't see it as an attack on them personally. People who've been brought up in cycles of addiction, they can literally be like, I can't get out of bed today because I've received a bad text message. You're just not able to deal with life and life can just feel really, really difficult. And I think for me, becoming a mum and going on this journey of really taking responsibility and to not blame external factors anymore has just been absolutely life-changing for me. And also to accept that I will have bad days and I will have bad weeks. And sometimes there's bad days and good days at the same time where you feel like there's victories, but you also have this underlying sadness in your stomach that you can't shift or just this pain in your heart that you don't quite know what it is, but it's just there. It's just knowing that 
this will pass and and I will feel good again and and really kind of tapping into that 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 it's not forever we don't have to exist in this melancholy forever has been really valuable for me do you do anything physical to stay mentally well yes I do Ayana took me to a really beautiful yoga class just before I became pregnant it's Kemetic African Meditation Yoga and it's a little community group that happens in Frinsbury Park in a primary school near where I live and I started doing that yeah, over four years ago now and I go every Saturday that I can, I'm there. It's meditative and it's movement and it taps into really ancient practices and breathing techniques and it's been really, really valuable for me because I think I didn't quite understand the connection in the way that trauma can be stored in the body before. The beauty of yoga is that you can really see the difference. So like you're doing something, like when you first start doing a position it feels really difficult and you're so stiff and it's so difficult and then every week bit by bit your body just opens up a little bit and I love the class because it's very inclusive and really diverse and it's not about your ability we have kids come and older people and then we all sit afterwards and eat food together that's really really helped me in terms of that I do realize that living in a city for me is quite difficult I grew up in the countryside and I, I love London so much but I do find not being in nature enough has a big big impact on me and not being connected there are really simple things that I find people can do which might sound a bit out there but really really simple things like grounding yourself like if you just go outside once a week and take your shoes and your socks off and actually just stand on the earth and just realize that we come from the earth and we're part of the earth and just to feel that underneath your feet it sounds really really bizarre but if you think about it we're literally constantly either in socks shoes or on carpet or on floors or on some kind of man-made material and we're just not connected with what we are which is you know we are natural biological beings so yeah those things really really help me on a day-to-day basis to stay well and finally what advice would you give to a musician about how to look after their mental health the advice i would give is to really strengthen the sense of who you are before you start putting things out there if you can to really understand that you are enough as you are and that you are beautiful as you are and that all of these things you're offering to the world they are offerings but they don't define you and if there's negative feedback or you don't get booked for the shows you want or you don't get taken on by a management company or you don't get a record deal it doesn't define who you are like expression in itself is enough and everybody deserves to express themselves in an artistic and a creative way and that can just happen in so many different ways and I would also say become as self-sufficient as you can in terms of the actual art so learn how to play instruments learn how to record yourself learn how to create artwork and how to do basic video editing and all of these things because I think what can be really a source of power for yourself is when you don't have to rely on other people because the very nature of relying on other people means that we're less able to control our own destinies and what we want to do and we're more reliant on systems outside of ourselves and I'd really say that like there's just so many amazing ways to express yourself now and the more you can feel confident in what you do and the more you develop your sense of self you love what you do and you can express it in the way that you envisage it in terms of the visuals and the artwork and just see all of it as one creative process the less likely that you're going to be sad when other people don't necessarily buy into that same vision because you are you and you you can really take control of that in the way that you want to put yourself out to other people and to the world. 
Amazing. Aruba, thank you so much. Thank you. This episode of the Elevate Music podcast is supported by Help Musicians, an independent charity that's been supporting musicians for nearly 100 years. Through an integrated program of health and welfare and creative funding opportunities, the charity offers a lifetime of support when it's needed most. If you work in music and are struggling to cope, the Music Minds Matter listening ear and support service is available around the clock. Whatever you're going through right now, you can contact Music Minds Matter day or night on 0808 802 8008 or email mmm at helpmusicians.org.uk. For more information on Help Musicians or to find out how to access support, visit helpmusicians.org.uk. Now let's hear from Helen Bryce. I'm a psychotherapist and I came to this from having worked in the music industry. The way I work is to metaphorically sit side by side my clients and see the world as they see it. So whatever they would bring, whether it's a diagnosis or other issues, I would try to enter their worldview to help them work out what they want to change or what's not working for them and what is working for them. And what are some of the common issues that you see in the musicians that you work with? A lot of the things that musicians bring, when something has changed, something has been going okay and then something has changed, so a lot of it would manifest itself in what they see as performance anxiety or loss of confidence, a creative block, that's very common. And then there are other things that aren't necessarily just peculiar to musicians. There'll be relationship problems or something that's happened in their life where there's a change of circumstance such as an illness or some sort of loss. But a lot of self-esteem issues and performance anxiety issues in the main. Can you tell me a bit about those self-esteem issues? Because I know that was something that in the interview Aruba was talking about and how she often found her sort of sense of self externally through the validation that she got in her role. Is this something you see? That is very common with artists, I've found, that some people have found it because they're in an environment where music has been important in the family. Some people have found music as a kind of escape from their environment to find some solace and, as you say, to find some validation of their own identity. And when that goes through lack of confidence or if they can't play, they can't write, can't sing, they feel they're losing their own identity. But it's very risky to invest your self-esteem in something external. But sometimes it's had to be necessary because of the environment that they're in. They could have been brought up in quite an invalidating environment. Generally, musicians are very sensitive people, so they're prone to being affected by very extreme personalities in a family or a social environment. It would be difficult to take strong personalities. They perhaps don't feel heard. If they come from a very noisy family, maybe their voice isn't heard, and that's invalidating. It's not that the family are particularly abusive, but it's how the client would experience it but of course there there are also abusive environments where they're being physically or sexually or verbally abused from quite a young age or even later in life but fairly consistently and with Aruba's experience the invalidating environment might have been the chemical dependency or addiction that was in her environment because that changes someone's personality 
So if a family member is prone to addiction or is addicted, that's an invalidating environment already. And so how is an individual able to regain that sense of self as an adult? Are they able to? Well, it's interesting that you would say regain because did they ever have it? That's where the work is done. So, for example, if a client comes to me, they've got questions about, I don't know who I am, especially because if something's not working in their music, the question then is, well, who are you without your music? What were you before? It's quite hard to imagine that. You realise that there's a kind of arrested development because they never really thought of themselves as an individual or having a particular personality. And this is a problem with codependency because they're looking for validation from other people and then validation from the music. They assume responsibility for meeting other people's needs. Their own needs are fairly low in priority. And they're continuously investing their self-esteem in controlling their environment and controlling their own impulses as well. And they get very enmeshed in others. So it's really hard for them to stand alone and find their own personality. That codependent behaviour, is that something that you see quite commonly in musicians? It's very common if the musicians come from an environment where there has been someone in the family with addiction, a parent who's addicted, or a parent with mental health issue, it could be a personality disorder, because what happens, you become codependent at a very young age, you assume responsibility for your adults around you. You're forced to grow up too quickly, so your own needs are at the bottom of the pile, because you're trying to keep things at an equilibrium and do things not to upset or exacerbate a bad temper or a raised voices and so on. And so this sense of self, does social media play into that at all, do you think? Yes, I'd say, how can it not? There's the constant comparison and negative, harsh judgment that the client should be achieving, whether it's prizes or awards in the industry. You know, the bar is very high then for individuals who are generally people with low self-esteem. So there's constant comparison. And the best thing is to limit how much you look at it, how much you listen. It's about developing a filter for caring less about some of the critical stuff and getting over your own judgment about yourself. We all judge, so the idea is to, you know, judge and get over it. Don't keep beating yourself up with these harsh judgments. Because that idea of resilience, that's something Aruba talked about. She said that when she became a mother, it made her more resilient. Apart from motherhood, how, how else can people build their resilience? The best thing is to go to seek some kind of help from psychologists or psychotherapists. And I think we have to be aware that this is what you're experiencing, this lack of confidence. So that's the hard thing, the acceptance that things aren't going as well as they could be. Some things aren't working anymore. When you can accept it, and that doesn't mean approving of it or being okay with it, but then you've got a choice of staying like that or changing. So I would usually encourage people to, with a practical mindfulness exercise, which is called the awareness continuum, I view mindfulness, which is a bit of a buzzword, as simply awareness, not necessarily a meditation, but a description of what you're noticing, what you're feeling, an image or memory that comes to mind, and thoughts. So to hone your awareness, it would be good to practice a mindfulness 
awareness continuum each day. I'm aware of the thought, I wish I had what they had. I'm aware of the feeling of discomfort. I'm aware of the emotion of anxiety. Labeling stuff as it is. And sometimes people find that hard. So some coaching can be useful from someone like a psychotherapist to help with that. When we're anxious or nervous or frightened, our face becomes very flat, our muscles become very tense, so we have to move them. So there are various things to do, like raise your eyebrows, closed mouth smile, so that your smile lines are visible around your eyes. Leaning back in that rest and digest mode, so moving your body, owning more space, slouching a bit more, and diaphragmatic breathing. And if that can be done in daily, or as often as possible to get used to that, when you need it, you repeat it during an interaction, whether it be in person with someone, or if you're looking at difficult stuff that you're reading online, you switch your safety system on by changing your physiology in those ways. And that can be coached. It's good for public speaking, for presentation. And this sort of work is really effective if somebody wants some short-term therapy to manage some newfound anxiety, some newfound sort of lack of resilience. There are lots of other tools that can be used to change the situation right now that you're experiencing in, in the present day. We've got quite a lot of awareness now about mental health in musicians. And I think people are now really starting to talk about mental health more generally in the music industry. I just wondered if you'd notice anything about professionals that were working in the industry. Well, sadly, not many people from management and from the profession come to seek psychotherapy in my practice. There's a big PR company that I started to do some work with who flagged this up to me, that management and label managers also need support and people at venues and sound engineers and, and so on. And it's something I'm pursuing with Pete Bassett at Quite Great PR who's noticed this. I don't know whether it's any different to working with a, a similar industry, advertising. I get a lot of people in advertising who work in account management, and I think it's a similar role to label management, having worked in both industries. There's a lot of pressure from up top who are getting pressure from their client, from their artists, if you like, and they won't say no, nothing's impossible, and the bar is very high and they're promising expectations that, that can't be met. And so there's a lot of opportunity to fail and let people down, but that's not allowed to be discussed. <laughs> you can't say no. So I think there's a lot of pressure actually from artists and from the guys at the top of the chain on, in the profession. And it's just expected that people do it. And if you can't do it, they'll get somebody else. And finally, if you could give some advice to a musician about how to look after their mental health, what would you say? I would say a balance of exercise, getting enough outside space, balancing your work and free time. Now, in a practical way, I think that, especially for people who are working in studios, you're on your own a lot. You need to be aware of how much time you are spending in a closed space, whether it's a practice room or a studio. Try to have interaction with other people, other peers, so that you can discuss your own music and listen to what other people are doing, but also interaction with family who want to talk about 
stuff that's important to them, whether it's a youngster who's talking about school, stuff that is nothing related to your art, your craft. You need to allow space for mundane, trivial, whatever, however you judge it, to come into your life so that you interact with family and friends and other peers. You know, if you're noticing symptoms that are problematic, more anxiety, for example, then it's best to speak to somebody who is objective and that you trust. But also, I would encourage people to look up Mind online, but also go to your GP. And if you are a musician, obviously BAPAM has a huge resource of practitioners who can help. But try not to leave it too late. If you need help with any of the issues that have been raised in today's episode by Aruba and Helen, you'll find links and signposts to all the appropriate services in the podcast description. This is the final episode of the series, but you can listen to all 15 episodes on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast provider. Thank you for all your support. Remember, you can still contact us on social media at Elevate Music Pod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at elevatemusicpod at gmail.com. This podcast was produced by Elevate Music and Listen in partnership with Help Musicians. 